0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: Welcome back to Believe in Softball. That's B L E A V with Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and today is an interesting day. On the one hand, I'm super excited about my guest. I had a chance to interview Hall of Famer Jay Miller, the head coach at Hofstra Softball, formerly with Team USA. His insight is deep and his perspective is unique, so I'm looking forward to sharing that with all of you. But that interview did come before a lot of huge news that's been building and came to a head this week. So first, I have to address something that's on everyone's mind and affecting our health and our day-to-day lives, and that's the coronavirus or COVID-19. I know a lot of us are sick of talking about it, but we also can't stop talking about it because the status changes almost hourly at this point. And I think about everybody who's sick, who's at risk, who've lost loved ones, that's the big picture, and we can't forget that. Wash your hands for at least 20 seconds, cough or sneeze into your elbow or a tissue, stay home if you don't feel well. Basically, just be smart. And you can learn more on cdc.gov coronavirus, and then click on Coronavirus Disease 2019 for what you should know, situational updates, information for certain groups, what's new, and a lot more. This has clearly hit the world hard and we're starting to take measures accordingly. And one of the many areas that's been hit hard is sports. The NBA suspended the season. The Pac-12 conference canceled all games effective immediately until further notice. The NCAA is taking action, on and on and on and on. And this obviously poses questions for spring sports. What happens to athletes' eligibility? For stats this year, do they still count? Over 70 softball programs and counting have their seasons canceled or suspended indefinitely right now, and that's really just the tip of the iceberg. It's unfortunate because sports bring people together and are usually and often a unifier during hard times, but of course health is number one. So for me, it's still important to me to keep sharing more about softball. We may need things like this as a way of coming together, especially outside of actually having the events more than ever. So let's keep that in mind as you continue listening. Before all the big news this week, I also checked in with a former guest friend and forever teammate, Ashley Hanson Church, who played for today's guest, actually Coach Miller with Team USA. And she had some fun info that I think is a nice, light way to introduce him. So take a listen. You actually played
0: for Coach Miller with USA, right, Ash? I did. I I played for him on the junior national team back when I was a junior in high school. And he is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to softball. I learned a lot from him, you know, wearing USA across my chest for the first time. And he was our head coach. I'll never forget putting that uniform on with those three letters across my chest. It gives me chills just thinking about it funny story about Jay Miller is also something I never forget. As a 16-year-old on my first trip and first flight to Europe, I sit, I'm in the middle seat next to Coach Miller and he's in the aisle. And it's about a 10-hour flight over to the Netherlands and he falls asleep pretty early. I just remember I had to pee really badly and I was terrified I was not waking him up and I just crossed my legs and I sat there until he woke up hindsight it sounds so silly but as a 16 year old who's about to go compete for their first junior world championship there was no way I was tapping that guy on the shoulder at that in that moment and something I laugh at to this day just kind of reminiscing and thinking about it, but it was an honor to play for coach Miller and and learn just so much from him in that short time that we had together.
1: I'm obviously really impressed by just your time with USA and your collegiate career, but also pretty impressed by your bladder control right now after that story too. I gotta say. I'll
0: add it to the resume. I'll add it to the list of accomplishments.
1: (laughs) Perfect. Right up there with player of the year. Great. I love it.
0: (laughs) Just a notch below it. Just one notch below. Hey, that's all right. The place that it deserves.
1: So that was a fun moment, and I know I needed to laugh. A lot of us do. And now, without further ado, again, I'm super excited about my guest today. Former Team USA coach, NFCA Hall of Fame coach, and current head coach of Hofstra softball, Jay Miller. Thanks for joining and calling in. Excited to have you.
2: No problem. Looking forward to it.
1: Awesome. Well, I want to start with your experience in college softball. You've spent over 25 years coaching in Division One college softball, and you have a ton of history. You're an NFCA Hall of Fame coach. You've been in a bunch of conferences, the ACC with Louisville, SEC with Mississippi State, Big 12 with Missouri. You have over 1,000 wins, lots of accolades, a couple World Series, the list goes on. When you look back on it, how do you begin to describe your journey with college softball?
2: Well, I don't know if it was so much of a journey as a, sort of a, uh, I was in the right place at the right time. Sort of grew up professionally with college softball. You know, when I first started, there was no NCAA softball. It was all AIAW back in, in those days. The NCAA didn't sponsor any sports for women. And when I first started getting involved in uh, in this game, uh, it's sort of when the NSA started to get involved, and and we sort of grew up together, I guess. So uh, I think it was I was in the right place at the right time, and and have enjoyed the ride the whole the whole way along.
1: That's awesome, and you've done a lot off the field, meaning you've been on a lot of committees. Actually, the NFCA All American committees, the NCAA Rules Committee, Olympic selection, clinics. You've written a lot of articles. Why is it important to you to be involved with the game beyond your sort of day job as a coach?
2: Well, I think that that's all part of the responsibility as coaches that we have to help grow the game and sort of to pay back what the game has given me over the years. It's also fun to be on on the sort of the cutting edge of things as the game changes and the game develops over the years. We've seen a tremendous amount of Of change and growth in our sport over the last 40 years so it's sort of a fun situation to be involved in it was always interesting to me to sort of see what was coming next where the future of our game leads
1: and what do you feel like the game has given you i know you're giving back so what do you think that you got from the game so far
2: it's allowed me a career where i didn't feel like i had to go to work every day when i get up in the morning it's nice to do something uh, that you love to do and work with people that are, that give you a lot of joy and, and happiness every day that you go to work. So it's allowed really me mean not to have to work a day in my life.
1: <laughs> that is the goal, isn't it? For everyone.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: Well, and then bringing that to now. So I want to talk about Hofstra softball too. Okay. We've talked about all the experience that you have had up to this point, but this is your second season with the Pride. So I want to ask why Hofstra? What about it drew you there?
2: I'm at the point really in my career where uh, this is this is going to be my last stop and, and I'm getting ready to retire and I was at a in a situation where the job at Hofstra uh, opened up when Larissa left to, to go to Missouri and and I've been uh, close friends with Bill Edwards for you know 20 years or so and uh, you know he called and said they're looking for somebody to come in and sort of get the program back on its feet. And, you know, he asked if I would be interested in doing that. At that time, I thought uh, that it was a good way to sort of wind up my career and and finish things out. And I think that that's why Hofstra and that's why I'm here and want to sort of build this program back up to to where it was, you know, when Billy was coaching.
1: There's a lot of history at Hofstra. I mean, 20-plus conference titles, 17 NCAA appearances. Is there something about Hofstra that you want people to know that we might not realize right now?
2: It's a great school uh, academically. It's a great place athletically, not only in softball, but soccer, volleyball, men's basketball, all the sports here are very much a family type atmosphere within the athletic department. Uh, It's a fun place to coach and a fun place to work. The coaches for the other sports, we all get along well. We all communicate and and uh, and hang out, and and uh, it, it's a it's an interesting place to go to work every day. I've coached at a lot of different places over the years, and, and this is really the the first place that I've been where where you really felt like you were a part of uh, a family within the athletic department. And I think you know our athletic director Rick Cole deserves a lot of credit for that because he's the one that fosters sort of that that type of relationship. And then the other coaches that are here at Hofstra, uh, most have been here for a long time, sort of growing up here. uh, And it's a neat environment to be a part of.
1: You mentioned academics and I feel like in families, you know, we grow up and our parents tell us we have to take care of our business in the classroom. And I noticed that Hofstra actually had a 3.5 team GPA last semester. So how do you talk to your players about the importance of academics and the balance?
2: well that's why you're here you know you're not going to make a million dollars playing softball once you get done uh, you know playing ball in college so you're here to get your degree that's our priority that's what's going to carry them for the rest of their their lives and for their their careers that are upcoming we place a lot of emphasis on that we we make sure they're doing what they need to do academically and uh, that they're working hard towards their degree so that's what's important
1: Very much so. And I actually see that you retweet a lot of inspirational things kind of directed at the player mindset, you know, on Twitter about trusting the process and having accountability, sticking with it through adversity. What are your thoughts on the mental side of the game? And like, what's your approach as you talk to your players?
2: That's a big part of the game. You know, my background is in psychology and counseling and and the, the way that I was trained and I think that that's a big part of of any team is the, the mental part of the game. So it's something that we spend time on. and something that I think is a factor that's lacking in at, at a lot of places, and a lot of programs. We try to do as, as, as best we can in terms of helping our players prepare to deal with that part of the game and that side of the game.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right with psychology. There's also a lot that we've learned in that area that applies to life, but also to the field as well. And that's grown along with the game. Is that also part of why you, uh, I think I saw you guys did some leadership training with the Marines in the off season. Was that part of your Mm -hmm. mental portion of it as well?
2: Yeah, that's all, all part of it. You know, we try to do something each year that'll help bring us together as a team. And I think leadership is something that it's very important, and it's something that, as a coach, you can help develop with your team. Uh, it doesn't just happen. You, you have to work towards developing leaders, and, and that's one of the things that we try to do every year.
1: Yeah, I like it. It's nice to kind of get involved with the community as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Between academics, athletics, and then the community outreach is the three prongs that we try to get across to our, our players we want to try to work towards each year.
1: Are there any specific tips or tricks that you work on with your team for the mental part of the game?
2: It varies a little bit depending on uh, your personnel each year, but I think the the biggest thing is is communication, establishing lines of communication so your players feel comfortable coming to you depending on whatever they're going through, whatever situation it might be. That's a, a big thing that we try to work on each year. Uh, in terms of setting up meetings with with our players individually, you know, we try to meet with each of the classes, freshman class, sophomore class, that type of thing regularly. I meet with the seniors every week. So those are things that, that sort of keep those lines of communication open and allow you sort of to be flexible and adjust as needed the fall or the spring, whatever time of year you're in, as as they go along. because nothing ever works out like it like you originally planned so you always have to make adjustments and change things up
1: that's very true and i feel like most of the time people don't regret communicating too much it's more that we regret we didn't communicate enough so i think that's a really good approach
2: yeah that's exactly right
1: in terms of seeing you guys actually play so i was lucky enough to see the pride on the field live this year during your opening weekend. And I saw actually a lot of web gems going on, which was awesome. I love seeing good defense. So how do you communicate with your players about the defensive part of the game? Well,
2: I think that that's an important part. You have to have pitching. That's going to keep you in the game and give you a chance to win. Uh, You have to play solid defense and you have to have timely hitting. Those are the things that are going to contribute to, to having success on the field. Uh, Our kids take pride in their defense. We work very hard on that, on our defense, and and I think that that's an important part of the game. So it's fun to see them having some success out there and enjoying themselves.
1: Absolutely. I saw, I think, Lindsey Hayes' big catch at the Stanford Invitational made it on
2: the
1: NCAA (laughs) softball social media, yeah, which was awesome. It was unreal. So cool to see live. Yep. (laughs) When you look at before your time at Hofstra as well, you know, you coached with Team USA. But not only that, it was a couple of gold medals, you know, at world championships, the World Cup. You know, I've spoken with some former Team USA players about their experience, but what is that feeling like as a coach?
2: Very similar as as a player. When you put on the red, white, and blue and hear the national anthem played uh, on the medal stand, it gives you goosebumps. That's sort of the pinnacle of our sport. It's been a fun ride, uh, you know, and I was uh, lucky enough to be involved with that first. First go round when we first got in the Olympics in, in 1991, uh, and we were selected to play in the, the games in Atlanta. I was on that first selection committee for the first Olympic team in '96. Such a, a tremendous responsibility, but also it was so much harder than I ever thought anything would ever be. So having to pick the, the top 15 kids in the United States to represent us in the Olympics of the hundreds of uh, thousands of outstanding ball players that we had was quite a challenge and and it it was it was a lot of fun to go through and got me started on uh, the journey working with USA softball over the years.
1: And I'd imagine because there's so much talent here in the states the criteria that you're looking for as you kind of narrow down those players it must be more about intangibles also so what what did you look for what was sort of the deciding factors?
2: Really was intangible. It really wasn't any specific thing that somebody did or didn't do. It was more of a result of, I guess, the experience people built up over time. You know, we started the process in 1992, and every, every year we had national team competitions and training, training camps, and things like that, and sort of whittled things down to the final selection in 96. So it, it was more of a total. Uh, body of work rather than what somebody did on a weekend training camp or a weekend tryout type of thing. A lot of it really dependent too. You know, with the Olympic roster, you're you're allowed 15 players is all. Mm-hmm. So you really have to have people that are versatile enough to play multiple positions, that that can cover you if somebody gets hurt, uh, that you're covered each position wise and things like that. And and obviously in terms of you know, how many pitchers are you going to carry on, on a 15-person roster? Uh, there's a lot of things that go into that that most people don't really think about.
1: It's a lot of different aspects that you have to pull together, and that's the coach's perspective. You know, players are just trying to do their best. They're trying to work hard, but there's a kind of a bigger puzzle that's going on in the background that coaches have to figure out.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: And you also coached the junior national team as well. What was that like compared to the senior team? All teams
2: are teams, you know, whether it's a senior team, the junior team, the college team, high school team, all teams go through the same processes in terms of building a team and, and managing a team and things like that. The junior team was fun because it was most of those players' first experience with USA softball. They bring a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of excitement. They have no clue what they're getting into. They have no clue what competing at that level is like, and all these kids were high school All-Americans and the best players on their travel ball teams and things like that, and have never really experienced failure. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, they get to the national team level, and you know they're sitting on a bench. They've never done that in their lives. So it's something that they have to learn to sort of get through and play certain roles, uh, that they really weren't prepared for in a lot of respects. It was a lot more teaching and things. Where the senior team, it was more managing. They've been through all those things and realized they're at a different level than, than the juniors
1: were. Sort of that growth and maturity throughout the system. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Are there any stories with players or with your staff or just, because I always feel like when you're in the trenches with people, you know, the memories that you have tend to be, the stories of spending time together more than anything else.
2: Oh, there's hundreds of stories.
1: <laughs> you know,
2: <laughs> every trip you have different stories, and and you know, playing around the world, you really get a great appreciation for how good we have it here in the United States. You yeah. know, we played at, at fields in Guatemala, for example. They used pillows. As, as bases, where they just spray painted a pillow and and wow. spiked it in the ground with nails, you know that was first base uh, it was half orange and half white because they they had a safety base out there, but it was just a pillow that was nailed into the ground, so the way that different countries handle things it just really gives you a great appreciation for for how good we really do have it here in the United states
1: that's a really good point, and it's also kind of a learning point, I would guess, in terms of how much room there is to grow for this sport internationally. We talk about growth here in the U.S., but even just throughout the world.
2: Well, it really is. The majority of the world has no clue about competing at a high level in the sport of softball. You know, there's a handful of countries that do, but after that, it's pretty much a club sport or high school level sport, the rest of the world uh, that they play. It's a big difference for them and a big adjustment for them to compete on that level internationally.
1: In that same vein, you know, what's your viewpoint now that softball's finally back in the Olympics this year in Tokyo? It's been so long that we've been
0: waiting.
2: Well, it really is sort of a sad situation. When we got eliminated from the Olympic program, it was all political and a setback for us in the sport of softball. You know, we're back in now, but we're not really in now. We're not part of the official Olympic program. We're dependent on the host city to sponsor softball. The IOC changed the rules to allow host cities now to add sports. Luckily, Tokyo added us, but we're in Paris in 24. They're not going to add softball or baseball. You know, we're back in the United States in 28 in LA. My assumption that they will add softball uh, for sure. Uh, But then, you know, 32, we we don't know where we're going to be and if they're going to add softball or not. So we're really not back in. We'd like to be an official Olympic sport on the official program, no matter who hosts the the games. But we're away from being in that situation. So hopefully we can get to there eventually. But right now, uh, it's still a year-by-year choice. But we are uh, looking forward to being able to compete in 2020 and obviously 28 as well it'll give us a little bit of an opportunity to to showcase our sport internationally
1: what do you think we can do as a softball community you know all types of people players coaches alumni everyone to try to make it so that softball is a mainstay in the olympics
2: the biggest thing is to support our sport you know to go to games to watch it on television to get the ratings up on tv so so they can't take it off So they have to show more and more softball to make sure that the pro league survives. You know, our pro league has been floundering, and it still is. So that's one thing. Another thing is go out and and do clinics internationally and do training and support these countries that are interested in softball, but don't really compete at the level that that they need to compete at. That raises sort of the grassroots uh, all around the world, and and that's going to make everybody stronger down the road.
1: You mentioned watching the games, part of what we can do as a community. So now, this year, ESPN's going to be airing either on their channels on TV or ESPN Plus over 1,400 games this season, which is huge growth from what we've seen before. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that coverage gets to all the different parts of softball? This is college softball that we're talking about, but do you think that there's still work to be done outside of the Power Five conferences?
2: I think so, but, but that's where you start. That's a good start. It used to be we had one game a year that was televised in softball. That was the championship game of the World Series. So we've come an awful long way from 1982, and, and really they were doing that up until the mid-1990s. They would just televise the final game of the World Series, and that was it. Where now you're seeing a lot more uh, games being televised and it's because we're, we're getting good ratings. We're out, out drawing, you know, the other sports that are being televised in the same time periods and things like that. So yeah. uh, that's, that's something that has to be continued. And we want to get to the point where they can't afford to take us off the air.
1: Right. I agree. I agree with that. And what do you think, yeah. what about softball do you think draws people in for me? I think, you know, the speed of the game and the stories, but what else do you think is the reason people are interested?
2: You're always going to be compared to baseball because that's what people know. Yeah. And, you, and when you compare softball to baseball, we win because we're a lot faster sport. We're a lot quicker. Uh, you don't have games that drag on for three and four hours. You know, it fits in a nice two-hour window for television. The plays are every bit as exciting as baseball. The athletes are every bit as athletic and do the same type of things that you see baseball players do in just a quicker, shorter, more compact format. It really comes across on television a lot more user-friendly and fan-friendly than the game of baseball. So I think that that's one of the things that attracts people to it. And once people start watching, they get hooked, you know, and, and they keep watching.
1: They sure do. Something about this time of year, too, that we're in right now in terms of the season for NCAA, you know, this is a little bit tough in terms of teams on the East Coast and in cold weather states are dealing with the elements too. So some of oh, yeah. the West Coast and the warm weather states, they don't really realize or always appreciate that. And, you know, there's snow, there's lots of times you're not playing at home for a long time. How do you manage that part of it?
2: I used to think it really didn't matter a whole lot. Then after coaching at Mississippi State in the South and then coaching in the Northeast, uh, it matters a lot. I can yeah. tell you that, and it really sort of separates the northern schools from the schools down south and out west that can compete outside, you know, pretty much year round and, and that type of thing. When you're traveling for the first six weeks of the season, it makes it a lot tougher than if you can stay home and have people come to you. But by the end of the year, it all sorts itself out, you yeah. know, because once everybody gets in the conference, most conferences are competing against teams that are on equal footing, and and everybody has a chance to win your conference. You do that, you go to the NCAA tournament, and then anything can happen. I think that that's the great part about it, but that doesn't happen till the end of the season. You know, This is the, the worst time where we're still in winter. We aren't in spring yet. Right. You know, It's no fun to compete in the winter uh, when you're outside. So I'd like to see them move the season back, similar to what baseball did. I think that that would be helpful for us. But whether that happens or not down the road, who knows?
1: Yeah, that's interesting for weather. And then I, I know for a lot of schools that are on the quarter system, too, right now, you know, the World Series is during finals week, which is obviously not ideal <laughs> for players. And then, no, yeah,
2: that's exactly right. There's not as many quarter schools out there as there used to be. Most schools are semester schools, but yeah. for the quarter schools, it really hits at the worst time. The big thing I think that people run into is just you want to be able to compete on a level playing field and on level ground with the teams that you're playing against. You know, having a starting day helped that. Back in the old days, teams were playing, you know, the first part of January. And a lot of teams were playing 20, 25 games before anybody else played one game. Wow. Where now we have a starting date. Everybody starts the same weekend. That's helped a little bit. But you're starting in the wintertime for half the country
1: but you guys for Hofstra this year you were one week later than most teams right starting your season
2: yeah we don't play that first weekend and and that's budgetary situation that we have here we just don't have the funds to go every weekend we have to take a weekend off somewhere in the season mm-hmm. so we choose to do it the first weekend because we don't start school till the last week of January so uh. we are not here practicing the second week of January like most teams are
1: It's like, yes, people are getting game reps before you guys, but you also want to get back on the field together first before you head out there and compete.
2: Yeah, it's a matter of deciding, all right, when do we want to take off? I mean, we could play that first weekend and take off the third or fourth weekend, but that's not uh, as much to our advantage as getting a little more practice time before we compete. And that's a function of the way our school calendar is set up, as well as the budget that we have to work with.
1: There are lots of different factors, and these are the things that not everyone realizes that go into not just a single game, but the whole season, the team, the program. There's a lot of moving parts.
2: Oh, yeah, that's exactly right.
1: <laughs> In terms of just softball as, as a whole, because you have so much experience across different aspects of the game, is there anything else that's kind of top of mind for you right now that you have like strong opinions on or are looking forward to or just anything that stands out?
2: Oh, you know, I think our game is in a great spot right now. Over the years, you've seen the technology and the bats and balls. Teaching hitting has gotten a lot better. So the offense has sort of caught up with the pitching. It used to be a lot more of a pitching-dominated game, but it's not anymore. It's an exciting game. It's a fun game to watch. I think we're in good shape right now. You know, you're always going to have to adjust with the times and as times change. Uh, make adjustments but I feel real good with where our game is right now you know we've got tremendous athletes tremendous young kids coming up I'd like to see kids be a little bit more well-rounded athletes than they are I think way too many kids are concentrating on one sport much too soon I think that that's to a detriment for our, our incoming freshmen we're seeing a lot more overuse injuries than we ever saw before because they're they're not taking any breaks anymore. They're not playing other sports, so they aren't as well rounded as of an athlete, and they don't develop that athletic sense that I think that they would benefit from. So, but that's sort of sign at of times, and I think everything sort of goes in circles. Hopefully, that'll come back around down the road.
1: That's actually a good point. I remember in college. College was when I first started to really appreciate recovery you know, not just doing the yes. hard work. You don't want to overtrain. It's like the importance of the recovery aspect. And sometimes that does mean rest and that's okay. That's actually more productive <laughs> than trying to force. No,
2: that's exactly right. And I look at the kids that we're recruiting now, they're playing their high school season all spring. They go right from that into summer ball. They go right from there into most of them are playing more games in the fall now than they played in the summer, yeah. you know, and they go all the way up to Thanksgiving. And then then they take lessons uh, in November you know, end of November and December till high school season comes around. They don't give their arms a chance to rest. You know, yeah. and it's not only the pitchers, it's the shortstops and the outfielders and everybody else now. You know, your arm needs to recover and, and they don't they don't give a chance to do that.
1: And it's about working smart, not just working hard, which is a balance that, I
2: think. That, yeah, that's right.
1: Well, I agree with you, though. Overall, it seems like our game is in a good place, and it seems like we have a bright future. Um, so I think, you know, I'm looking forward to that and to watching programs across the country like Hofstra and, and seeing all the success and exposure that's to come.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's an exciting time and a great time to be involved in the sport, and, uh, and it, it's a lot of fun.
1: I agree. Awesome. Well, I want to play one quick game just to wrap up. It's very quick. Okay. But basically, I'm going to bring up a topic, and I'll ask you what you think. So if you agree or you like it, you'll call it safe. If you disagree or you don't like it, you'll call it out. Does that make sense?
2: I will try, yeah.
1: Okay. So for the new NCAA pitching rule, where the stride foot no longer has to be touching the mound, safe or out?
2: Out, definitely.
1: (laughs) Definitely out. Why is that?
2: Because this whole pitching rule is a fiasco. <laughs> you know, whatever they were trying to do by changing the rule, they're just the opposite. What they need to do is go to the international rule, let the kids leap, let the kids do what they want, and they eliminate 95% of the complaining and the problems that we have with the pitchers.
1: Yeah, well, that's a good point too. The consistency across rules for different governing bodies of the sport would be mm-hmm. helpful.
2: And, and there's absolutely no consistency with the way things are enforced by the by the umpires that's the biggest problem that we have
1: yeah that's fair that's the coach's perspective you heard it here i can (laughs) i can respect that (laughs) well thank you so much for joining us i really really appreciate it this has been super no problem great
2: no problem good luck with everything and, and anything i can do to help let me know
1: yeah, amazing. Yeah, and thanks everyone for listening. Again, Believe in softball is available on your go-to's, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher Luminary, and TuneIn. As always, Believe.com and on social at Believe Podcast as well. Subscribe, rate, share, do it all. Reach out on Twitter to me at Genabacera01 and send questions for me or for our future guests. Thanks again, everybody. Catch you soon.
2: Thank you for listening to Believe.